Something in the way. Did you just harmonize? <laughs> no. So, Luke Batman. Okay, so <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about um, Batman because I, I saw it and I and I have thoughts. Um, Gomer, I saw it too. Do you have some thoughts? I do. I have a lot of thoughts. Right. I was very excited about this movie. I do not mind the. Hey, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Uh, can we do the spoiler horn? Massive spoilers for the Batman and every Batman film that's ever been made. So, there you go. So, anywho, mm-hmm. I was I was happy to see him, uh, to see Mr. Twilight Boy. I like him as an actor. And, same. same. Um, I, I will say, okay, I, I felt like the movie was half... Let me get my criticisms out front. I had a feeling you weren't... I don't know why, but I'm like, I don't think Gomer's going to be as high, as, it, as, as high on it as I am. Yeah, so I saw it with a great crowd. I, I had a all the people that were there. I bought a hundred dollars plus worth of tickets. I got reimbursed because this is not a charity. Uh, no, no alms giving to my deacon. Uh, so uh, Deacon Mike Crawl came. Brian Jones came. Joey Muck came. Uh, my IT guy from church, Kevin, came. Um, little Mo with a gimpy leg. Little Mo. Seth, who's a listener, came. His giant ginger Mormon friend came. And we all enjoy and Thomas Yeager, and we all enjoyed the movie together. And it was one of those big XD cinema, blah blah blah, stereo everything, uh, stereo as if that's cutting edge. It had two speakers, <laughs> a left one and a right one. <laughs> the fifties uh, are no, great. <laughs> I love this new Technicolor. So we were like, it was great. And I, I was about three beers in. They had beer there, and it was it was delightful. Huh. I felt I felt like the movie was thirty minutes too long. I felt like it was, and this is me getting my negative stuff out first. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. so I, I really enjoyed the movie, but I felt like it was about thirty minutes too long. I felt like they did the brooding Gen Xer thing a little bit too much. Although I liked it, right? I knew what I was expecting when you hear nothing but Kurt Cobain the entire time. <laughs> right? I knew. Yeah. I like. I'm ready to yeah. embrace that. Yeah. However, um. I loved what's her name is Catwoman. Um, why am I forgetting her name? Kravitz. What uh, is her name? Zoe Clo- Kravitz. Zoe. Still yeah, having Zoe a Kravitz. hard time with the fact that she's the daughter of Lenny Kravitz, like the grown daughter. Like I know. Like, I know. like but like I'm like wait, was um, Lenny Kravitz our parents' age? <laughs> like that's what I think. <laughs> that's what I'm having a hard time with. It was like Lenny Lenny Kravitz, huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? American woman. Yeah. So, uh, and I liked what's his name when he was the Batman, liked him less when he was Bruce Wayne. I am really happy they did not do the death of Thomas and Martha. Yeah, okay. Every, everyone's so been excited. talking about that. You're not saying anything new. Go on. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, Luke. Maybe many of our fans kidding. don't watch hundreds of hours. <laughs> Anywho. So I am excited that they didn't do that. Yeah. But it's funny is you can't escape that shadow at all because they reference Thomas and Martha. I love the Thomas and Martha, Thomas Wayne and Martha Arkham. That's a new twist I haven't heard. I like that. That was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I felt like if they made it the last – this is the best phrase that I heard summarizing it. Joey Muck uh, said this. He said, the third act was the least good of the three acts. You had me at act one. You had me at act two. Then we get into act three, and I'm like, uh, okay, just a bunch of insoles shooting weapons. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, I don't agree with that. I did. I did for the more. Okay, sorry. Keep on going. No, I'm done. Keep, keep that on going. Was, uh, other than that, I loved it. I loved the... Um, I, I love the opening scene where the bat signal goes up, and they stare into the shadows, and they're terrified. I love the the Joker's where he walks up and you just hear his heavy boots and they're just staring into the darkness until he beats the hell out of them. Um, I loved how uh, one of my buddies, Brian, pointed out how after he beats up the Joker's, the victim is looking at me. He's like, don't hurt me, you know, or whatever. And he's sitting there and he looks up at the bat signal and he realizes like at that moment, like 
it's all violence. Like, all I am is one big fear machine. Whereas at the very end of the movie, when he's with the boy and the helicopter's taking him up, it's like he looks up, right? That same kind of looking up, but he's not looking at the bat signal. He's looking at this rescue, this helicopter, the city's being safe. And it's like, this is hope as opposed to vengeance. And I liked how they did that at the very Mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. Because now it's the Batman, oh, the cartoons, right? It's the Batman that it's like, oh, this is a Batman who can actually do a Justice League. Brooding Batman who just beats people almost to death, not a Justice League yeah, Batman. Yeah, in, in a weird way, they kind of, like, get to the end of The Dark Knight Rises, like, in one movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which and I, I like that. I do, too. I, I, I do, too. I, um, I left it, and I think I told Aaron, you know, this is going to be one of those movies that with time is either going to age really well or really poorly. Yeah, agreed. And I, I'm coming around to the idea that it's going to age well. I hmm. uh, want to see it. I'm going to go with Kevin Hyder at some point in time here pretty soon. I wanted to see it twice before we recorded. but Me too. Yeah. Me too. I know. I almost postponed this, but I was like, I can't wait to talk about this. Guys, I am so freaking excited about this new sponsor for Catching Um Foxes. I'm talking to you guys today about Executive Coach Solutions. They are a um, leadership consulting firm that brings creativity and strength-based training to the art of business management. ECS works with individuals to bring out their talents to enable them to be happier and more effective at work. I cannot emphasize that part enough. I had the chance to work with them back in 2018 and 2019. It was absolutely incredible. It made me so much better. Better at my job. I have skill sets that I use to this day. When you invest in yourself, especially if you are like a priest or if you are at a parish, a lot of times as church workers, we always don't get that soft skill that we need in order to lead well. And this is what Executive Coach Solutions does. They provide you with those soft skills that you need to be a more effective leader. And I'm 100% happier at work than I was before I worked with them. I feel like I have the tools now to really talk with anyone that I work with about about like anything. I have the ability to set goals, set priorities, do things. That especially if you work in the church, people don't really provide you with any of the know-how on on how to do that. And they do such a great job of that. Any like even if you don't work for the church, this is actually primarily for people who work in a business setting, but it 100% applies to people who work at the church as well. This is really an opportunity for like anyone who listens to our podcast who wants to get better at their career. I encourage you 100%. You're going to get all the practical soft skills you wish you had you had learned when you work with them. So this is what I want you to do. Go to executivecoach.solution slash foxes and schedule a phone call. Talk about where you want your career to take you. You're going to be better at your job. They're going to give you the tools in order to do that. I really encourage you just just to go to their site, schedule a call, talk about where you want your career to take you. That website again is executivecoach.solution slash foxes and schedule a phone call today to talk about where you want your career to take you. I agree with Joey to a point. I I, I don't think it's – I kind of don't care that it's not as entertaining as the first two hours. Only because no, not I, as good. Still entertaining, but it wasn't – No, no, yeah. It, no, it's not. But I actually think it's um, – it like this is one of the challenge. One of the challenges with like a superhero film was the last uh, third of the, like, like the, the final act is really good. The only one that did it well, in my opinion, well, actually there are two. I, I think. Um, mm, let me think here. Probably the three best films out of all the dozens and dozens of almost superhero films that have been released over the past, let's say, half a century. There are three movies that I can think of that have that, like, the final act is, like, on par with the rest of the film. One is Infinity War, one is Endgame, mm-hmm. and the other uh, is probably The Dark Knight. I just think the way that it ends is oh, yeah. just really powerful. Um, and I don't – and I – but I think this actually fits into the whole better than almost any of the Nolan films. Like, yeah. there's a arc. There's an actual arc. Yes. For that um, Bruce Wayne slash Batman goes through, which is more – I think in the other films, it's been a little bit more about what is Batman. Batman starts as this and then Batman ends as this, but Batman himself doesn't necessarily go through an arc. He, he does a little bit in a couple of the films, but, like, it's more of what does Batman mean to other people. That's yeah. the arc. And yeah. this is the personhood of Batman that we see change over the course of three hours that I – that I really like. 
I um I'm coming around to the idea that this is actually probably uh I already I left there and I thought okay this is definitely one of the better Batman films that's ever been made. I'm coming around to the idea that this is possibly maybe the most maybe the richest Batman film. Not not the best, but there's the most there. Mhm. Out of out of all of them, so I, I thought it might be kind of fun to kind of like just do a little bit of Captain Fox's ruins the movies here, and just do a bit of a deep dive on this if if you want to. Yes. So, are you aware of so the director? Are you aware of like Matt Reeves and like who he no. is? No. So fascinating. Did not now. I've funny. I've heard of him, but I didn't realize that this was him. So he's actually a childhood friend of J.J. Abrams. He's an older. Gen X are born in, I'm 60, of uh, 8, I think. Um, him and J.J. Abrams met when they were um, 13 at, like, a public uh, TV studio. And eventually Steven Spielberg hired them both to, like, put his old, like, Super 8 films together into, like, one big thing. And so him, he, him and J.J. Abrams, like, he's he made Cloverfield, which I, like, was able to put two and two together after I was like, oh, it's him. Because, like, I just... I, I like Cloverfield. I loved it. Yeah, though. I mean, for like, I mean, what it is, it's, I, I think it's great. Um, I, in a weird way, like I knew the guy who did the last two Silence of the Planet of the Apes films was the guy who made the Cloverfield uh, film, but I didn't put together that. Like, I was like, oh, okay, like Matt Reeves made Silence of the, of the Planet, Silence made um, Planet of the Apes or whatever. I forget what the last two are called. Dawn of the Planet but, of the yeah, Apes, twenty fourteen, and War for the Planet That's of right. the Apes. Why is it? Oh, Silence. Um, Silence of the Lamb Apes. <laughs> Stop it! Uh, I just I was like, oh, I didn't realize. I didn't go into it like this is the guy who um, who like only um, made Cloverfield, but he's kind of quietly been like the better half of um J.J. Abrams. They both did a lot of work on the Felicity Show back in the nineties that I never uh-huh. watched. That people um, that um, that um, people love. That kind of jump started J.J. Abrams' career. So I I um do you like? Have you seen any of his other any of his other movies? Uh, I've seen Cloverfield. I have seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes. I he have did the not... last two of those films, not Dawn, okay. but the War and the other one. I forget now. Not he the one with Dawn. James Franco, hmm. which I actually really liked. I think I like the first one the best. He of didn't those. do he, the first one and the third one is what he did. He didn't do the Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. My apologies then to the misses. Yeah, um, I don't know of the other movies. I mean, I never saw Felicity, but it was her optional memorial the other day. <laughs> Perpetua and Felicity. Uh, yeah, so this is like, uh, I'm going to kind of like jump ahead here really quick. This is like the most Gen X Batman, right? Oh, totally. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, kind like, of overwhelmingly, yes. Like a little bit of like... Like, do you remember? I think I talked about this on the podcast way back when, when me and Aaron were watching some some station. I don't know how I don't know how we found this, but it was a live Smashing Pumpkins concert in like in like Chicago, and the first ten minutes is just like pictures of Billy McCorgan on the screen as a kid, and like I hate and like X'd out on his face, and like I hate my life and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's right, Gen X hates their parents. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, always, always. <laughs> so what, like? When you see, when you say that, like, what of it for you that was like, oh, this is such like an epitome of like, of um, this generation. Uh, number one, what's his, uh, Robert Pattinson's haircut? Okay, <laughs> yeah, his haircut was screaming like Gen Xer whenever and, he was Bruce Wayne. And I'm not sure that that's like just because that's the style now. Like, a, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a style, but th- you're you're like, there are things from that time period that are are popular now. I don't know if that haircut is one of them. But it totally, oh, it's in my eyes, bro. Like, you freaking look like a Cobain. And then uh, what else screamed it? Uh, he's just as brooding. And I'll, I'll say this. Even if he wasn't wearing the Batman mask, I think he still, his character would still wear the black eye makeup. <laughs> so much eye makeup. I think he would still wear. So the funny thing is, all the Batmans ever have always had the black eye makeup around their eyes. But uh, this is the only one where he takes his mask off, and where at one scene he's, you see him putting it on. It's like, you know, whatever, camouflage war paint stuff. But 
Like, <laughs> there's that one scene where he looks all the crow-ish. And it had a lot of heavy vibes of the crow for me. It kind of, like, it uh, kind of reminds me a bit of that one scene in um, Big big uh, Daddy where he's, like, he, he, uh, some guys in, like, golf <laughs> stuff. And he walks past, he goes, you're mad at your daddy. He goes, that's probably right, my father. <laughs> like that. Yeah, he's like, get out of here, asshole. He's like, you're not mad at me. You're mad at your dad. Your father loves you. He tried his best. Oh, I am mad at my dad. Dad, why? <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's a um, – and I I think this is why – it's kind of funny because I, 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 I think – Christopher Nolan might be of that age, but he's um, he might be a boomer though. I, I feel like he might be I'm a Gen Xer, but he doesn't have that like. It just like do you remember? So when when the trailer first came out, I was like, I cannot believe they used that song. Uh, 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 um, something. In, um, Christopher Nolan is in 51 years old. 51. 51. Okay, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, because like one thing about like these films is you typically he was really young when he got that film. When he got Batman Begins, he was in his early to mid, early to mid thirties, which is kind of insane to get a movie that big. Although you could argue that Batman had was on on the on the decline, or on the like the tail end of a decline because of the last uh, film. So it was kind of like well, like who or whatever. But anyways, when like um, something in the way when they use that song by Nirvana in the, mm-hmm. in the trailer, we had like a conversation where I, where. I believe I said if there if the the tone they're going for in the film is that song sign me up. And right. it's uh, one of those right weird there. things where like in hindsight it makes total sense that this would be a Batman thing. But I've never heard that song and like you like thought um Batman. Yeah. And I uh, did you hear how often like the chord yeah all the, the chord progression that and like the whole film yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> this is what we get when we try to be structured. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, the, my favorite part of the movie yeah. was when that music would come on or when the Batman brooding music would come on. Like, he's coming to punch you in the groin. Like, yeah. everything about that was my favorite part of the movie. But you can kind of even, like, I, what I really loved about it was, like, you could hear at certain parts, too. They would just hear that you would hear the boom, boom, boom. Like like in the mm-hmm. background, not even like the song, but just like on like piano that like I don't know what you would call I don't know like what those notes are, but you could kind of that like that kind of just and like and like it gets real like heavy. It's it's actually the same chord progression I think, or relatively close to it. It's like the whole like they he built the whole a movie around those like the like the, it's just. I'm kind of in love with this movie. The more the more I, I'm thinking about it, if you can't tell. So why why do you think they show like why that song? Why something in the way? Why yeah, not come as you are? Because that was already taken by. Uh, oh man, what what song did that? Ah, what movie did that song? Oh, I give up. Okay. I did not realize there was an actual answer to that question. <laughs> Yeah. Um how how old do you think Zoe Isabella Kravitz is? I'm gonna say like thirty. I'm gonna say closer to thirty-five than she is to thirty. I'm gonna say she was born in either eighty-eight. Done. Nailed it. Wow. December first, nineteen eighty-eight. We're only five years older than her. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I didn't look that good five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I could still fit into my all leather uh, ensemble five years ago. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. So, okay. So I've always like I I feel so dumb. I forgot that like something in in the way was actually a track off of Nevermind. Yeah. Like when I hear it, I always think of the unplugged version because that's my favorite. Uh, my favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, it's my favorite album. It's probably a top, top umpteen album for me. So yeah, was, me too. Me too. So I was like, wait, what? And I was like, that's right. That's that's actually on on this album. And I did a bit of um, deep diving into the into like um that song. I think you're going to find this um interesting. So there's this urban legend that the song is about a time when Kurt Cobain lived under a bridge in um in like Seattle. And that did he really? Now he didn't, but that's kind of the thing. The, that's the myth. Yeah, but there is a bridge that it, that this song is about, and it's under <laughs> the bridge. It's like he like he went there. He probably did drugs there, but uh, 
he never like lived there as far as people know. But on like spray painted on like the wall under the bridge was the words um uh, what were the words um uh, something in the way. And that's where the song comes comes from. It's the idea of like I could live here, but like I I think that idea is actually very um in the nineties during that period. The idea of doing like there was this like that was the winter of our um dis- discontent, right? That whole yeah, that famous yeah. line from Reality Bites. There's this idea that wait, were lo- you in the movie Reality Bites? <laughs> I forgot that you were. You shouldn't have said Reality Bites because I was sort of. You were anyway, here in on. the director's cut. I'm in the director's cut. <laughs> I get murdered at the end, and I was only five years old. <laughs> What's gonna happen to poor Gomer? What? <laughs> Gomer who? Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Kid, you're eight. Why do you have a beard? And who is this band called the Deftones? You'll find out. <laughs> It'll be the ruin of us all. Limp Biscuit. Tell me more about this rock for life. <laughs> well, first there was rock the vote. Then there was rock for choice. <laughs> then finally, the Christians not to be outdone. <laughs> three years later. <laughs> As we all do with pop culture. So I think this idea of, like, life isn't supposed to be this way is a very yeah. big thing from that time time period of, like, there's something better than this. And the idea of, like, I think, like, something in the way speaks to this whole – speaks to that idea of um, there's something insanely broken right right now. And life – I'm, like – my whole life is like I'm a this, but I see how it should be like that. There's something in in the way that's getting me from this to that. And the idea that the idea was that during that time period, the thing you're trying to get to was a pure. Um, I hate to say I don't know how else to put this, but like not corporate. Like the entire grunge on the movement is based yeah. upon not being that. Yeah. And I th- and it's kind of the perfect song for Batman, I think, be- I mean, one, because of the tone. But that whole idea, like, think about how much of this film takes place near a bridge. <laughs> All of it? Like, like, I think it's very intentional that, that he um, uses this song. And I think that, I, that, like, even the character of Batman, he's so angry in this film. But he's angry because his life has not worked out the way that he thought that it it's like his right. real life was robbed from him which i think is somewhat of the like ethos of uh, of the of the like of late 80s early 90s that became i hate to say like the gen x unknown movement if you will because it's not that but this whole idea of just uh i didn't want this i wanted something to be pure and real and good and all of this feels like oh, i'm a shallow and and a fake and somehow like wrong that there's something inherently unbroken with like with the world. It's almost like in a, trying to like we get rid of the idea of God, but we still have the problem of original sin. Yeah, I think, and that's and this. I think the whole like reason why like Batman is brooding like someone who has truly profoundly lost on the something. It's why he kind of reminds you to a certain extent of your friend who's too upset over like an ex girlfriend. Who just goes on and on and on and on and on about it. And it's kind of the same thing about like when you have a person who like loses a unloved one. It comes to a point where it's like it kind of destroys their life to a certain extent because they can't get over the fact that this thing happened that ruined their life. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 tragedy is so definitive, but they're not moving forward. It's their life is constantly caught in a loop. Now let me ask you, what what song uh, if you could pick one, and I have one, I think I've even said this before. Would you say kind of Im- embodies the that original sin kind of motif? Like I have a song that when I heard it, I said that is the anthem of original sin, and I said that to my girls, like because they love the song. Hmm. What, what would you say for you? Like thinking about it, like the to me, original sin is this. I have an idea of greatness that I will that reality will never measure up to and it kills me. All right, Buckaroos, here we go. It's a new BetterHelp ad read. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. 
We talk about BetterHelp a lot on this show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around a mental health. There are a lot of people that think if you're in therapy, it means that there's something wrong with you, but that's wrong too. It means that you recognize that all humans have emotions. We can't avoid them, so we need to learn how to manage them. I love that part. We've been taught that that a mental health shouldn't be part of normal life, which is also wrong. We take care of our bodies with the gym, the doctor, and nutrition. We should be focusing on our minds just as much as we focus on on our body. So as a lot of you guys know, I went to therapy a couple, like probably started maybe two years ago. It was a fantastic experience. I find that it's just, uh, just kind of like helps you on the process, a lot of the junk that's, that's happened. And a lot of, and even like part of the good stuff too, what are some good things that are going on in your life you need to recognize, or just, just having an outside voice walk with you as you process stuff is really very, very cool. And I want to, the great thing about better help is that it is a much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. I want you to give BetterHelp a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is, is, is spotted by, by BetterHelp and Catching Foxes I'm a, and Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for once again sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Um, my first answer is Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that like entirely that. fits because there's a real there's a there is a sadness to that song, but it's also kind of yeah. a mix with hope. But there's this little bit of like the hope never you you understand that they're slowly starting to realize that that they're they they're never going to get a fast car. Mm-hmm. That the odds are so overwhelmingly stacked against them. But I don't know if that's necessarily. Original sin, but I think you can kind of see how it kind of uh, yeah. it relates to this idea. There's just this massive thing here. There is a there is a problem that I legit cannot um, solve here that is ruining everything. So for me, that song entirely coincidentally or God incidentally is. Do you know who Leonard Cohen is? Oh yeah, he's the yeah. the Jewish Canadian Bob Dylan, right? People say second to Bob Dylan or maybe Paul Simon, this guy's the greatest singer songwriter or uh, lyrics writer ever. His voice kills souls. <laughs> Every, it's like Bob Dylan. Everybody, he has a totally different voice than Bob Dylan. But when you hear it, you're like, this is hard to listen to. Um, if you're just used to pop, like my kids hate his voice. But there's a woman named Sigrid, and Sigrid re-recorded his song for, and here's the coincidence, uh, Justice League. With the the opening scene with the oh, death of Superman. that's right. That's right. And I fell in love with the song. And now my kids love both the Leonard Cohen version and the Sigrid version. And this is how it goes. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. And then he keeps going on and on. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain is, captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling like their father or their dog just died. Everybody talking to their pockets. Everybody wants a, bunch, a box of chocolates and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. And then he keeps going. And I love this line. I had to explain it to my kids. Katiri gets it, so he doesn't. But everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. Oh, give or take a night or two. Everybody knows that you've been discreet, but there were just so many people you had to meet without your clothes. Everybody knows. And when I hear that, I'm like, ah, and then it keeps going. So then they have the whatever. And he said, everybody knows that it's now or never. Everybody knows that it's me or you. Everybody knows that you'll live forever once you've done a line or two. Everybody knows the deal is rotten. Old Black Joe is still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows, and everybody knows. That line is like a gut-check baseball bat. Old Black, because when he sings it, you're like, ooh, because he's like, Old Black Joe's still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows, and everybody knows. And then here it ends. And everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows that it's moving fast. Everybody knows that the naked man and woman are just a shining artifact of the past. Everybody knows the scene is dead, but there's going to be a meter on your bed that will disclose what everybody knows. And everybody knows that you're in trouble. And everybody knows what you've been through. From the bloody cross on top of Calvary 
to the beach of Malibu. Everybody knows it's coming apart. Take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows. Everybody knows. And I cannot read the lyrics. So this is Leonard Cohen. Michael. Amazing. I know, right? Amazing. <laughs> honestly. Honestly. I mean, like, hitting the beat of drugs, Malibu, Calvary, like, all of this stuff into one song. But when you hear it, and then you hear the beautiful voice of Sig- uh, Sigrid r- sing it from the, the uh, Justice League soundtrack, her voice is just gorgeous. And it, like, it it... It hurts if you know the lyrics, and it's sublime if you listen to her voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that culminating thing from the bloody cross on top of Calvary to the beach of Malibu. And, like, to me, it's this, like, like <laughs> the first line. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded, but everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Right? Like, that is original sin. What, like, what a more beautiful, poetic way to describe original sin. I know that it's effed. But I'm still going to play, and I'm still going to cross my fingers hoping on magic, you know. And so when I, when I encounter that, I can respect the Gen Xers' angst, right? That, that's mm. the phrase that is often used, or mm-hmm. the resentment. But usually it's angst of, like, I have a hope that I don't believe can be fulfilled. I still have the hope, and it sucks even more because I know it can't be fulfilled. See, that's the problem. That's the despair that Soren Kierkegaard wanted to get across in, in Sickness Unto Death. He wanted to show you, like, you're, you're a king that's been dethroned, right? And if you don't own both sides of that coin, you don't know what it means to be human. Was it Kierkegaard or was it Modest Yahoo? <laughs> I haven't heard that name in so many years. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> the other day, I walked out of a pizza place, and of a revolution, OAR was oh, playing. I love that band. And I stopped, and I was like, "Wait, what is this song?" And he goes, "But I say, oh, you say, say ah, but I, I say revolution, and you say da 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 da." Oh yeah, right. And Man, I was give like, me some "Oh beer my right gosh, now. this is college right now." And when I think of that song, I also think of Modest Yahoo. Like they're all the same thing for me. That's so funny. Oh my gosh! That uh, I remember at a one of the "You Don't Belongs." Um, Emily came up for that, and they played that song. And it's like a nine-minute song. And we heard cleared the living room, and just like I'm saying the song, and as people tried to go about with their time, we were like, "No, you will sit here and listen to this OAR song. You will do it. You will do it exactly as I said." College just so kids everyone are- knows, I have placed the song. In our show notes. Oh, I've, I've already done that with multiple things. Oh, Ooh, me too. Look at oh, that. crap. What if we... <laughs> breaking the matrix. <laughs> so I think I want I want to add one quick thing. One yes, quick please, thing. Sir. When I think of like... Um, when I, when, after I thought about that about for a bit, I thought of um, this beautiful song called um, The Passenger by the band Bad Astronaut from their album Houston, We Have a I'm Drinking a Problem. And I, I don't think it's necessarily about original sin and kind of like the where do like where do we do? I feel like who is it by the passenger by what bad astronaut? Uh, this is a very much a Luke two thousand and two yeah. two thousand three song. When you hear it, you'll okay. Go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I just adore it. I absolutely it. – it's one of those kind of bands I I never told you guys about it because I'm like this is probably a bridge too far for a lot of people. <laughs> but. Uh, one of the reasons, things that like I love about it is it 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 kind of is like the after side of that where it's just like, oh, and now I'm just numb to everything. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is, um, oh my gosh, this one line. And now I crash with them. I am a bank de- deposit. The I'm held. A, I'm held a. I'm an accomplice to man's will. The faith transcending reason. The passenger. I'm descending and in an instant. The time stands still. Um, the fade, planted, heartache, stop thinking. <laughs> it's sad. It's really sad. Um, but, like, tying it back to Batman is I, I – one of the narratives about this film I think is very true is this is the first film where, like, Batman and Bruce Wayne are basically the same character. Yeah. There is no real split. Um, like, this was pointed out in one of the, one of the Ringer's podcasts on uh, the Ringerverse – um, how when he goes to the door, the three times he goes to the like on um, the gangsters 
uh, place. He first comes as Batman. He then goes as um, he then mm-hmm. goes as Bruce Wayne. Then he goes as both of them. Mm. And I think this idea that he's kind of like, like if you, if you think about it, so like his dad and mom are supposed to have been killed twenty years ago. Like we're in college when that happens. That's not okay. that long ago. So right. to me, it's somewhat realistic that if he's like you know eight nine years old when that happens. That he's still in a messed up place because of that. And, like, the way they portray, like, he's a broken, broken, broken man who's, like, barely clinging on to, like, whatever he can. And, like, I love, this is going to sound weird, but do you know how, like, when they have the, in the beginning of the film, they have, uh, they, um, um, have the Riddler and he's got like uh, the goggles on and he's like spying on the dude. And then a couple scenes up later, we have Batman doing that on Catwoman, but Batman stays a little bit too long. Like yeah. he's kind of creeping on her and it's yeah. kind of gross. And I think it's meant to be gross because he doesn't, I don't think he actually knows what to do. Yeah, I agree with that. There's almost because a- the director did not want to give us Playboy Batman. No, yeah. Right? That no. was the thing. He wanted to give us traumatized PTSD Batman. Mm-hmm. Or Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think I think yeah, I think to him there's really like no difference be- between those two. Like it, even in the beginning when he fights, I remember having the thought of like, I don't know if I can take three hours of like Batman fighting. Like it just feels kind of redundant now. Yeah. And the way that he fought in the beginning was like really violent. Mm-hmm. And I not in like a John Wick cool way, as in like a oh he's like furious, like he actually is vengeance. And this is why I kind of like the, this is why I think that the third act actually actually like actually does matter because everyone in this um, uh, film life has messed them up horribly. Yeah, every almost single one, and it's all about how they choose to respond to that and. To be honest, Batman, to a certain extent, up until he, when he's um, fighting those guys on top, he's the same. Like, we know how when, like, the guy, like, one of the, like, incel dudes or whatever turns and goes, I am vengeance. Yeah. Like, he's right. Like, yeah. they're all taking vengeance out on the world for this thing that they have lost. You, like, have the Riddler who is robbed of, like, all these things, and he never quite had the life that, like, he wanted to have. And all these guys who are like, me too. And those are... um real frustrations that people have you have cat you have catwoman who's basically orphaned because her dad's a criminal and he killed her mom and you know you have all these like they are like like oh gosh what's the line from game of thrones cripples bastards and and, uh, cripples uh, bastards and broken things yeah they're all that and that's what's gotten in their way that like the world as it does has crushed them and they're all responding the the best way that they can at that point. No, that, that's the wrong way to like. They're all they are all re um, they are all responding to that. Why I think the third act really matters is because Batman, for the most part, is trying to be a relatively good um, person, but he's still trying to beat the shit out of people because he's so unbelievably broken. Mm-hmm. And it's not till he realizes that he's really no different than those than like those guys when he cuts the cord. I thought he was going to die at the end of the film when he cuts that cord and falls into the yeah. water with all the electricity and stuff. I'm so like, how did he not die? But like, whatever. And I, I kind of was like, holy crap! If they like, if they kill him, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. I was just like, that's. And Can I, I tell you what sucked about that part in the movie was he cuts the cord and he gives this like really big yell, and his face is all like, right. And this girl goes, ha, 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 dumb. And I was like, <laughs> that girl just ruined it. That's when it takes you out of that. That's so annoying. I and know. Like, and I like, I agree with you that I don't think the execution of the, the third act is as good as the first two. But I think the overall plot points and its, and its implication on the um, uh, on like the thematic elements of, of the story are absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. Because it's that moment. I mean, I it, agree. I agree. I just think in the end, it's. Just a bunch of guys with with guns shooting people, and I was like, "Oh, come on!" I thought it would be much more like all the other things are so creative and no, I I don't epic. I don't think it's that. I mean, it's it, I would it's. I wanted a fun house. I wanted mirrors. <laughs> I, was, I wanted people coming out stabbing and then disappearing. I wanted at least two or three little people. 
I'm upset. <laughs> no, I and it, there is there's a part of it where like it feels a little bit just given the cultural on the, the cultural like narrative of the past couple of years that it is the easy way out. Like I'll, I, but I I think it um it is commenting in that at at the at the at the same time where it's like mm-hmm. there is this hopelessness that people sometimes respond to it violently. Yeah, 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 and. That's, I think, the point they're trying to make. There, it's just, it's kind of been done. Like everyone's using them as their villains right now. Like, what was the, the Marvel incels, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh. what else? Oh, well, um, oh, was it? There was another a Marvel. I think it was like a TV show or something. Mm. Oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was kind of like. And so, I, I think in that sense, it, was, it has been overplayed. But I, I yeah. also think it's a. In a box, in like a vacuum, it makes a lot of sense given uh, the overall, like given um, what the themes of the movie are. Yeah. And I think one thing I love about this film as well is that it breathes so much. Like there are so many like things where it's like, and then hold this shot for three seconds, two seconds longer than you need to. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I kind of like that because it's really like. It just it kind of work. It's little. In, it's little indulgent in that way, but it's a. I I don't. I just don't mind that. Hey everyone, Gomer here, and I want to take a moment to talk to you about a new sponsor to the show, Petrus Development Conference. This conference being held at the Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida, will have over 150 Catholic fundraising professionals from ministries small and large. Their primary audience is campus ministries, Catholic high schools, Catholic grade schools, Catholic dioceses, and yes, Catholic apostolates. They want you to invest in yourself and your career as well as your ministry's future. So come and build community with other Catholic fundraisers in a beautiful beach resort location. If you register in March, check this out. You'll be eligible to win a free three-hour consulting package with a Petrus coach. If you register in April, the first 10 people will receive a $40 airport shuttle voucher. Oh, yeah. Fundraising is hard, so let the fine folks at the Petrus Development Conference give you the tools and the community to make it less hard and actually enjoyable and fulfilling. Take a walk on the sunny side of fundraising at the beach in Naples. And listen, I've done tons of these Catholic conferences, and I'm telling you, the ones at a resort on a beach is where you want to be. The Petrus Development Conference 2022 takes place on June 13th to the 15th. And if you sign up today and use the coupon code FOXES, you'll get 50 bucks off your registration. How awesome is that? So click the link in the show notes or head on over to PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. Special thanks to Petrus Development for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. So one of the things that I was thinking of with the incels, guys, so for those of you who don't know, the Riddler is the ultimate overlooked person who responds with violence. But his violence is extreme, calculating, cunning, and patient, and he will get his revenge on all the people who should have cared about him and should have paid attention and all these. And he's targeting evil people, people that you're kind of okay that he's targeting right a corrupt mayor a corrupt police chief all that stuff but within that i can't as i'm watching this movie right i'm thinking what was the last great dc movie and the last great dc movie was the joker i mean the joker was an incredibly powerful haunting a uh, painful movie that to watch it is to no madness right like you really do feel like you're descending Mm -hmm. into psychoticness with this guy and you your sympathies only go so far right but um and it's funny because i was like what is matt reeves thinking as he's making a batman movie about a bunch of men who are the villains who are incels like joker right and for those who don't know, incel stands for involuntary celibate, right? Like the Joker, right? They're the disenfranchised. They're the, I hate the world because the world doesn't care about me and doesn't acknowledge whether it's my inner greatness, my this, my that. And it's the response of, like, the Columbine shooters who is like, I hate being itself. It, the universe is so unjust, all of it needs to burn. And, of course, to contrast them is the new uncorrupt mayor who's going to fix everything, who is, and I think, not 
in a weird way, I think in a in a good iconic way is a young black woman, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have the corrupt people being old white men and you have the young black woman and I think you can read that cynically and be like, "Okay, here we go." And you have uh Zoe Kravitz's, you know, white supremacy thing. And you're like, "Okay." But at the same time, it's actually a really good juxtaposition. It's a really good thing of being mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. here's the opposite, and you have to destroy this woman, not because she did anything wrong to you. She did nothing wrong to you. She wants to fix the wrong. She's the one literally calling out the wrong. But your rage against the injustice of the universe is so complete. Your vengeance is so total that even those who would side with you in your pain you also are going to kill. And, that, and that's when you become the French Revolution. How does the French Revolution end? They just murder each other, right? They murder the enemy, then they are the enemy, then they just murder each other. How do you know it's satanic? You begin, the, the snake eats itself, right? Like, and this is the violence point. raged up to a fever pitch, right? Like, right? Like, don't you feel that way? Like, here's all these guys. And, and, and what they said in the movie was there, you know, he had 508 or something like that followers. And then all the followers, you know, it was all about gun violence. It was all about this. And you can read that in a, okay, here we go. It's standard Hollywood. But I think it's perfect. I think it's the, the, the shooter in Las Vegas who had, you know, 20 rifles in his hotel room. He didn't care about the country music concert. He wasn't opposed mm-hmm. to the people in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to watch the world burn. And that's where Batman villains are the best. Because they show the dark side of victims who could have been, who Bruce Wayne could have been. Mm-hmm. But there's something within him that says, no, no, I got to fight bad guys. Even though he does the same, similar things. Obviously, he doesn't kill people and whatever. But he's, he's using a ton of violence and he's using fear and he's using vengeance. And then he looks and sees, I could be lost like these people who are doing my project but without a moral compass, and I realize that I'm going down their path, not going down the right path. I got to become the hero, not just the symbol that that evil fears. And I mm-hmm. love that juxtaposition. Well, and yeah, I love, and that's um, I wrote in our notes here: um, uh, uh, vengeance is carnal, hope is a choice. Mm. And at the end of the film, when he like he's there's such a carnal like. The way he treats Alfred, like, pissed me off. Because <laughs> that's kind of my favorite um, relationship in all, in, like, the Batman um, films across the board. Each one is that Alfred, Bruce Wayne, Batman uh, relationship. I think it's fascinating. Like, here's this person who desperately cares for him. He's so angry, but he, he sometimes, like, Batman will miss or Bruce Wayne will miss the fact that he has a parental figure in, in his life. And even af, after Alfred almost wakes up after almost dying, he, the first – he's like a dick to him still. Yeah. <laughs> the first words out of his mouth, it was a dick to him. I'm waiting here not to console you, but to accuse you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, but thought if, that, I thought that was perfect. Yeah, but he's so he's the lady in in the great in the great um divorce who's so upset over her dead son's on um, the death that when she dies and goes to the afterlife and he's calling her on to heaven, she doesn't even recognize him. Yeah, because she can't stop talking about her dead son. Oh, that's right. You know, that's like it's that and it's really is like I was looking at the stages of grief here, and I don't think like he's just like dep- he's kind of in like the like I'm um, bargaining depressed part. It feels like he just he can't like he cannot get over the fact that I, I mean and then he does open up and be like I can't lose you, yeah. But his first his first go to like res- response is just to be a complete prick to Alfred and he's it's like he's a he's a brody teenager, yeah. He never really grew up like a lot of those guys who are just so angry over like how Jenny didn't go to prom with them or something. Like it's this there's this. Like he's a broken kid, and as much as like when he sees the like um, mayor's kid, he is like I think he's seeing. I think part of one of the reasons why I love the part where he like because he, he sees the kid like I think three or like three or four yeah. times, and what the film yeah. does like up so well is they never say it, but of course there's the element of like this kid I have like I'm doing like he's me again, 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. But then then there's this thing where I think he's starting to see a, like a bit of like I'm still that. Yes. Yes, I'm, that is I've, an excellent way to look at it. And and there's a certain part oh, where you Luke, you're so smart. But there's a certain part of him where he always will be that. You can never get like I will always be fatherless until the day I die here. Like it just I know like I have God as my spiritual father and all that stuff. But like that's the, like the reality is like my dad is dead. My mom and my sister just got real depressed. But like, <laughs> too, I was like, "Oh shit, you're talking. You're not talking about Bruce anymore. We're talking about you." But like that's but that's uh, the thing that like that's real though. Like so yeah. like there's a part of me that I like, kind of understands that like like I remember one time I saw um, a video and it was my dad's voice. We were out in California when I was ten. And he's doing the camera and he's providing a, um, a narrative throughout the whole thing. And then I can come outside and have to be in front of the camera. And I, I had been drinking a bit. We were at, we were at like, I'm um, Brian's Elmer's. And I was like, I got to go outside. And, and I like started crying because I was like, I wasn't expecting to hear his voice. Yeah. And this is why I shouldn't like do deep things after I've been drinking. <laughs> As many people can attest <laughs> about me, not about them, about me. I was like, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I can't. I like, like. I remember saying, like, man isn't meant to experience a thing like that, like <laughs> the voice of the dead, you know. And I was like, okay, Luke, you're just kind of oh, drunk, Luke. That, like, I just want to hug you right now. <laughs> no, but the voice of the dead that kills me. It's yeah. haunting. It's haunting. It like I I and I I knew I could feel the immaturity coming out of my pore. I think Brian had to hear me express all that. Poor Brian went through so much. Um, <laughs> but it it I and I felt so juvenile saying that, but it was coming from that like like that just childhood like oh, a wound of like my father is dead and there is nothing I can do about that. And I Though I've never really been Bruce Wayne about that in terms of how he is in, in this film, it's a, something that I can relate to and it comes out sometimes. Yeah. And you never get over that. And you have to, it's, it's a choice. You have to constantly choose to um, do that, which is, I love, like, like, I kind of love the third act because you have to see Batman. Like, this is not me being like, you're wrong. I'm joking. I completely agree. I don't think it was well executed, but I don't know how you can execute this part well. Because very rarely can you show good things on film because there's no tension. Yeah. Um, but when he leads the people out of the water, when he's like, I'm getting the kid, he has made a choice. Like He makes a choice to cut. The, he could continue to beat those guys up. But he's realizing, like, if I do that, I'm just like them. And I'm no better than when I tried to uh, tell Cat a woman to not kill her dad. I'm doing the same thing. And so he cuts the cord. He cuts the, like the wire falls to his potential death. But like he saves people. Then he's able to lead them out. And Batman's able to lead. And he, then he's this is so interesting. He's Batman in the daytime, and he's saving people. And he looks. He looks even like dirtier. He looks even more. I'm tired. But he's become like an adult Batman. You know it's funny because Chris. I wonder how much he was playing up the, um, like I said earlier with the Christopher or with the uh, Joker motif. I wonder how much he was playing up the Christopher Nolan, the bat as a symbol of fear, right? Like, because that's the whole mm -hmm. first thing, right? The bat is a symbol of fear. Yeah. And then the, it ends with him saying, well, that's not enough. It, and, it, and it really isn't. He has to be a symbol of hope. And the Batman in the Nolan trilogy always wants the. The Harvey Dent. He wants other people to be the White Knight. I get to be the Dark Knight. I get to be the one who punches you in the mouth. You're the heroic figure who saves the day. And he understands, like, the whole the whole glorious thing about the Christopher Nolan thing is he is truly the just man in Plato's Republic because he is viewed as the unjust man. Yet he still does justice. I don't know if you've ever read Plato's Republic, but in the Republic he talks about there's this one line where – or this one part where Socrates is talking with, I think, I think Glaucon, and he's saying um, how the, the just man is just even when everyone thinks him unjust. And then Socrates is like, no, no, no. you got to go even further. Not just when they think him unjust, but they begin to persecute him as the most unjust. Will he still be just? And then he goes, the perfectly just man – is someone who's just while they are pinning him basically to a cross is is almost what Socrates says. Socrates goes right up. I mean, there are church fathers 
who point that out and say, uh, you sure he's not a prophet to the Gentiles? Right? So it, it's like leading you right up to that, to that Jesus moment where you're like, everyone condemns him, yet he still does the right thing. And that's the ending of the Dark Knight trilogy, right? Like, they can hate me. They, but Harvey Dent has to be pristine. He can't have all this stuff thrown in. But this movie is like, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't even work for one film. At the end of this film, I get to be in the light wearing the, <laughs> the goofy suit that I also go clubbing in. And I have, <laughs> I have to save lives. I have to go out of my way to save innocence. It's not enough to beat up the guilty. I have to save the innocence. Right, and that mm. that's where you cross over from I'm the vengeance to I'm now a symbol of hope. Right? So when that light goes up, it's not just criminals should be afraid, be very afraid, but but the innocent should now have hope. That they can be rescued, not just avenged. Mm. It's yeah. a, okay. Also, I want to say, Luke, that every single time it's Friday during Lent. And my children ask me, Daddy, why are we allowed to eat fish? That's an animal. I say to them, without <laughs> exception. I know where you're going. For the last four weeks, because of Exodus 90, I say, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. And then my daughter, Cecilia, who is St. Francis of Assisi, says, fish do too have feelings. I go, no, they don't. Or else we couldn't eat them. On Fridays. And then it's just a, a never-ending circle, and it's beautiful. And you just go, something's in the way. And you're like, Dad, why are you in a cardigan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what is the <laughs> – it's a torn cardigan. Um, yeah. What is the song from Black Widow? What's the song that they use? I did they not. I haven't one. seen it yet. No, no, no. They use Black Widow – Nirvana cover. What is it? Let me see. Courtney Love getting paid. These movies. Yeah. <laughs> smells like Teen Spirit. Hello, really? Hello. That would bother hello, me. Hello. No, like, they do a great yeah. job. Yeah, that's it's fine. Malia Actually, J. Do you know what I love is the Tori Amos um, um, version of that? I did not know just she did that. Oh, you need to you need to go look that up. I'm right doing it now. right now. Tori Amos. Right and I'll now. put it in the show notes. But right no, now. you haven't heard the Black Widow? No, I need to watch it. I, it's one of those films that came out with grad school, so I just have never taken the time to go. And, and what's see her it. song? What's the song? It smells uh, like Teen Spirit. It smells like Teen Spirit. She put, and it's like um nineties. Oh Amos. no, I definitely know this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's extra wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh, with her in that red dress, she was I a know. weirdo. I gosh, loved her so was, much. I did. I no, I did too. I loved her too, but her she was like, a weirdo. Yeah. Oh, or um, Elisa Loeb <laughs> explains my love for Jewel. Um, there is a line here. I was trying to like, like, because I, I love the idea that like I want to just like just kind of like um, wrap up the Batman stuff really, really quick. Like, so when all of the water stuff they start to flood the city, which is crazy. This is all in the same movie. I love that. Um, I love that scene. I was like, okay, like, wow, like. It's kind of interesting. I feel like it's, there's this element of like this is of the city. Obviously, um, it's, it's baptism. It is being it's um, be, it's it's being washed of its sin. But the funny part is like when you do that stuff, um, you're. I feel like sometimes, and I don't know, this, this could be me like just saying that this is obviously where they're going to go. I think because I think they kind of have to, but. When you start going down the path of, of, of virtue, your sin almost becomes more apparent to you. And you see the ugliness with, like, more clear eyes. And your heart, to a certain extent, gets heavy. It's one of the things I love about the church is, like, when you're um, fasting during um, during um, Lent, there's this attitude of love. Like, one of the – gosh, one, I think it was one of the Eastern church um, um, fathers who talked about how do you um, fight a city? Well, like, you weep. You ask to weep over, like, the awful things that you were doing. So I'm like, well – as the city is going to get better, <coughs> I'm sorry. Um, the uh, worse, the like worse, certain things are going to actually get. Not things as a whole, perhaps, but the things that are bad are going to seem worse. They're going to get worse, and that's why I think we have. That's why I kind of like to have this, the the um, scene of the Joker, even though it feels a little bit like, of course, you have to have you have to do this. Um. I wasn't opposed to it either because I'm like, you kind of have to do it. 
um, given what is going on. Uh, Do you have any thoughts about that before I go to this last part here? Nope. Uh, There's a quote uh, from a homily that Benedict gave to German, um, German, uh, from like German, like from to German bishops. um, He's talking about I'm Christ, not Batman. His vengeance is the cross, a no to violence and a love to the end. This is the God we need. And I think what's kind of exciting about this Batman film, when I when I when I when I think about it in that um like that light, is he takes Batman takes his vengeance, and he basically makes it self um sacrificial. It is uh, it isn't anything about his emotional need, his wants. Although I'm sure that will still be there. It's more about how can I be a person for like for others. And that's the hero that I think we need now. I, I don't think this will be an anti-hero Batman. I hope they don't go down that Yeah, way. I don't think it will be either. I, I'm actually really happy about it because I think they easily could have done that. Yeah. Um, any last thoughts on the Batman that you want to share? Because I have, I have <sighs> like one more big thought, but go ahead. No, 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 no. No, I'm good. I'm good. I don't think it's the best. I'm a, I don't think it's the best like, superhero that's been made. I do think it may be the best comic book film that's ever been made, though. Mm. This is the first film that I've ever um, seen. I also know more Batman comics than I do. Any, I don't read a lot of um, comics. I've probably read probably a total of like – I had my cousin's like Batman comics he gave to me back when I was like 12. And so and there was a few of them were like older ones. One was like a book with all like the old stuff and some of the newer stuff. So I've probably read maybe a total of like 10 to 20 Batman comics my entire life, um, if that. Um, but – Two of them are The Killing Joke and um, The Long Halloween. The Long Halloween was one of, th- one of the influences for this film. And this is the first Batman movie I've ever seen where I feel like both of those plot lines could take place in that universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of don't get – well, I mean I, I get it, but I don't agree when some people say this isn't a very – like this isn't a comic book movie. I don't agree at all. I think it's very much in the vein of like a lot of Batman comics. Yeah. It just isn't um, um, flashy at all. It's uh, like, um, so I, I, I'm I. The more I talk about it, the more exci- the more I want to go and uh, um, watch it again because I think there is a lot in. It. There's a reason why it is as long as it is. So I really, really, really liked it. I I, I liked it too. I really did. I have certain things that I wish. Could have been tightened up. I love the Riddler. We haven't even talked about the Riddler. Oh maybe. yeah, yeah. Can I tell you the thing? The the one Hollywoodism that crept into the movie that I hate. Yes. Okay. I hate, hate Luke. In all Hollywood movies, in all television shows that have a detective, anything. What is the most annoying thing that could possibly happen? The detective doesn't solve the crime except for the fact that a random thing occurs. This is also known as house MD that a (laughs) random thing, a random side comment just thrown out of the way, totally accidental to the plot line that then the hero, the detective, the crime solver, the superhero says, wait a second, wait a second. And then immediately solves the crime. And that, in this movie, came in the form of a detective or a police officer who was guarding the Riddler's room, uh, his apartment, came out and said, My uncle's a, a carpet, a carpet layer, and that's a carpet tool. It stretches the carpet. Carpet, carpet, there's carpet here. I'm like, mother F, come on. <laughs> that stuff drives me, and I'm going to say it, Luke. I'm going to say it right now. That shit, crazy. I've always he said hated the that. thing. He did say the thing. And he is me. I've always hated that. I've always hated that whenever it's like like in House. Did you ever watch the House? It's all every house episode is like, oh, I put a toothpick in my mouth. Toothpick? Wait a second. Wood. Trees are made of wood. That guy was in the woods. Oh, the guy has a wood tick in his back. No, you know, like Yeah. Come on, man. Wasn't that the worst part of the movie? I think the part of the movie for me that was the worst that threw me off the most was when I love. Okay, so when he jumps off of the building, I love how scared he was. 
in the squirrel suit. Yeah, yeah. or the uh, the whatever flying. Mm-hmm. I love the outfit, but when they try to show him f- do a close up of him flying, it is the fakest thing I've ever seen in a Batman movie. <laughs> and I'm counting the 1966 film. <laughs> like, it was. I was like, the hell? Like, I was so thrown off by how fake it looked. But I love the fact that he's scared. Like, I love, I, I just, I love all the, yeah. like, I don't know. I love uh, brooding Bruce Wayne just kind of being like, oh, I'm so sad. That <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> all right, so, Luke. Special thanks. Special thanks to our sponsors today. BetterHelp.com, Executive Coach Solutions, and new sponsor, Petrus Development Conference. Woo!